I wonder what's the hardest thing you've ever had to do? Compete in a competition? Raise children? Maybe experience the loss of a loved one? Perhaps it's going through the turmoil of a relationship breaking down. Up there for me has to be running the London Marathon. 26.2 miles of sheer endurance, grit, perseverance. Call me crazy, but I did it. 2016, my dad had tragically passed away from pancreatic cancer. And so I decided in response to run the London Marathon. I did it to raise money for Pancreatic Cancer UK, but also to help me personally process the grief. And by the way, training for a marathon is no fun and games. Just imagine setting out for a training run, knowing that your training run is gonna be three hours in the cold, in the wet, in the winter. It's grim, isn't it? It's not really something that you're gonna look forward to. But that's what it entails to train for a marathon. But in those moments, I learned a lot about perseverance. On the day of the race, I was pumped and ready to go. Imagine it, the atmosphere was electric. Hundreds and hundreds of people lining the streets of London. Many of them cheering on my name. I had my name written uh, on my vest. A great experience. I managed to push through the pain barrier, get to the finish line, and I managed to complete it in three hours and 24 minutes. As you can tell, I'm pretty happy, I'm pretty proud of myself for that achievement. But a marathon has very, um, lots of similarities to our lives. Many people have said that life is like a marathon, not a sprint. And I think there's lots of truth to that. In a marathon, just like in our lives, you don't know what to expect. You can't expect success to come quickly. There's a lot of planning and preparation and training and perseverance that is needed. But this, I find, is quite countercultural. We live in a world, don't we, where people expect to get things very, very quickly without having to work hard for it. People have kind of described our culture as the microwave culture. You know, we want things right now, right away, on demand. Technology, of course, has played a huge part in that. It means that gathering and sending information has become extremely fast, faster than it's ever been in history. And so we literally expect things to happen right now on my time on demand. I'm personally still amazed that I can order something on Amazon from somewhere across the UK and it arrive on my doorstep the next day. It's amazing, isn't it? I just can't get my head around it. And of course, living in London means that many of us don't have to wait very long for things. Even things like transport. You never have to wait very long for the next bus or the next train. In fact, I suspect that many of us living in London are just a short walk away from a shop, a restaurant, a cafe. We literally have everything we need and more on our doorstep. And therefore, we can prize convenience and being comfortable above all things. To the point where if we're ever stuck in a queue or we're stuck in traffic in our cars, we just lose the plot, don't we? We just go mad because we're not ready for it. We're not trained for it. We're not prepared to have to wait and have to endure and have to persevere. Or how about having to live through a global pandemic. The last two years have been extremely hard for all of us in varying degrees. And we've all been put to the test, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally. Wow, 
It's been so, so hard, so hard for each and every one of us. Maybe at the start when I asked you, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to do? Maybe the first thing that came into your mind was, man, live through a global pandemic. It's required grit, resilience, perseverance to keep going day by day, putting one step just in front of the other every single day, just like a marathon. And you know what? There were so many times during my marathon attempt where I had so many things going through my mind. Why am I doing this? Am I crazy? 26.2 miles, this is mad. Why am I doing this? And throughout that race, the amount of times I just wanted to quit and give up and stop because I was in agony. I'm sure maybe many of us can relate to that, going through these last two years, wanting to stop, finding it so difficult to face each day, but knowing that you need to keep on going. I'm sure that throughout this pandemic, we've all asked big questions, big questions about life and purpose and meaning, asking ourselves questions like, what is the point? Why am I doing this? Can I keep going? You know, over the last 10 weeks, we've been looking at the church in Antioch from Acts 11 to 13. We finished the Together series just last week and we saw that the church in Antioch were fasting and praying before they sent out Paul and Barnabas on mission. And what we find uh, after those chapters is actually that Paul needs to persevere. And what I'd like to today, do today is actually to look at what happens next. We've seen a lot in Acts 11 and 13. You probably know those verses really well. But what I wanted to do today was to look at what happened next. And what we find in Acts 14, which we're going to read in a moment, is that Paul had to persevere. He's in a dire situation. And what I want to do today is look at two things that we can learn from how Paul persevered and how we can apply it to our lives. So let's read from Acts chapter 14, verse 19 to 28. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Wow. As you can see, once Paul and Barnabas are sent out from the Antioch church, they are relentless in moving from place to place to preach the good news of Jesus. A map's gonna come up on your screen now and you'll see what's been described as Paul's first missionary journey, where they start off in Antioch, Antioch and they go down to Cyprus and then they go up towards Pamphylia and other places that we have just read about, Iconium, Lystra and Derby. All these places are now in modern day Turkey and this image will hopefully help you to visualise the kind of journey that they went on to go and spread the gospel, spread the good news of Jesus to those 
around them. What is the heartbeat of their message? Well, we see that in Acts 13, verses 38 to 39, where literally they proclaim, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everybody who believes is justified. What a fantastic message that through Jesus, not through ourselves, not through our own efforts, but just through Jesus, through faith in him, we can know the forgiveness of sins and be justified. Isn't that fantastic news? But their proclamation very quickly means that they face fierce opposition. If you have a look in Acts chapter 13, verse 44 and 45, they're in Pisidian Antioch this time, and there's a huge crowd there, and the Jews begin to feel jealousy, so much so that they start to you know, heap abuse on Paul. Then in Acts 14, in Iconium, they again, preach the gospel, large numbers of Jews and Gentiles believe, and there's huge division. And we read in verses four and five that there was such division that people started to plot and plan and you know, to basically kill, stone, and ill-treat Paul and Barnabas. So after hearing about you know, these people's plans to kill them, Paul and Barnabas flee to Lystra and Derby, and they continue to preach the gospel all the time, relentlessly. In fact, it's in Lystra that Paul prays for a man to be healed who's been crippled from birth. The man is healed and literally it all kicks off. There's all manner of things kicking off. The crowd think that Paul and Barnabas are like Greek gods and Paul and Barnabas are turning to them and pleading with them, no, 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 we're not Greek gods. Turn to the true and living God. And then of course we have these Jews in verse 19 that we read about who come from Antioch and Iconium. They win the crowd over and they stone Paul and they drag him outside of the city thinking he was dead. Paul is clearly not in a good place. People think he's dead, he's down and out. He's probably unconscious, he's probably got cuts and bruises on him, he's probably got black eyes. Surely there is no coming back from this. It's like that he's two nil down with 10 minutes to go, just like Man City were last week as they won the Premier League. At two nil down with 10 minutes to go, no one thinks they're coming back. They think they're gone. Everyone thinks that Liverpool are going to win the league. And of course, I'd be very happy about that, given I'm a Liverpool fan. Unfortunately, Man City, they come back against all odds. They come back from 2-0 down and they win the league. A similar comeback, if you like, happens here with Paul. He's down and out. Everyone thinks he's gone. There's no coming back from this. But something happens in verse 20, which changes the game. In verse 20, it says, But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. You see, the first thing we can learn from Paul about how to persevere in tough times is to have people who gather around us, who pick us up, who are, if you like, our friends. The first thing is friendship. You see, going back to my marathon story, what I didn't tell you was that when I started the race, I actually started with a friend of mine. We had been training together, and we were both aiming for a time of three hours and 15 minutes. At the start of the race, we were together chatting about our strategy for the race. And we both said that, you know, we'll stick together and we'll try and stick with the 315 pacer. In the London Marathon, you have pacers who, who run around with a big flag uh, saying what time they're going for. And if you're going for, say, 315, the idea is that you stick with the pacer with a pack of people around them. And the idea is that that group encourages you to keep going, persevering and finishing the race in that time. Now, as it goes, I was foolish. We started the race. 
I was full of adrenaline, the crowd were pumping, the crowd was cheering on my name, and I felt really good. I felt really confident, overconfident in fact. And I was foolish enough to, to run ahead of my friend, to run ahead of the pacer, thinking that I could complete the marathon in a faster time. To be honest, it came back to haunt me. 18 miles in, I hit the wall. I was on my own. My legs started to seize up and literally I just couldn't keep going. In fact, I actually began to walk. It was something in my training that I wish I'd never done. You know, I constantly said to myself, don't walk, keep running. But in that moment, I'd hit the wall and I had to walk. And after a few minutes, my, my friend who I started the race with actually runs past me, looking really smug, smiling at me as he goes. And he's running along with a whole group of people, including the 315 pacer. They overtake me and they keep going. And I could see them supporting one another and encouraging one another. I thought to myself, in that moment, what a fool I had been. If only I'd stuck with my friend, maybe I would have run better. Maybe I would have finished the race quicker. Maybe it would have been a more enjoyable experience. I wonder today, a question for you is, who are you running with? Who is gathering around you? Who is supporting you? Paul had people who gathered around him. The disciples in this passage are most likely going to be the disciples who were converted under Paul's ministry whilst he was in Lystra, under his preaching. And now they're seen looking after him, caring for him. It doesn't say what the disciples did, but I suspect they would have nursed his wounds, given him food and water, prayed for him. Most likely is that they actually prayed for him for healing because they'd seen healing in Lystra earlier on in the chapter where Paul prays for a crippled man to be healed. So maybe they would have seen that and, and modelled that uh, seen that model and then prayed for Paul to be healed in this moment. Whatever they did, it had a huge impact on Paul because we read that literally he got up after being left half dead and he went back into the city. Just imagine that for a moment. Imagine returning to the place where people had literally stoned you, left you half dead, abused you. Imagine returning back into that place. That would take incredible courage and perseverance and resilience to do that. And what made that possible was the people who gathered around Paul. I think if these people don't show up for Paul, I don't think he goes back. I don't think he carries on his missionary journey. But because these people turned up for him, he was able to carry on. Let's get it right straight away that we're unlikely to face the type of persecution that Paul faced. I imagine that none of us are going to get stoned for our faith. But we do know that there are Christians who are living in other parts of the world who are facing severe persecution like that. Places like Eritrea, North Korea, Nigeria, and many other places where, where Christians are facing severe persecution. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to pray for them and encourage them and do all that we can to support them. But I suspect that what we experience in the UK today, the hardship and suffering and persecution we experience is very different. I lead a group at King's and we, we met just this last week to talk about some of these things. We talked about the fact that we live in a very secular society where we find it very difficult to live out our faith and even to speak out about our faith because of fear. Fear about what people might think of us, fear of being misunderstood, fear of being labelled, fear of being silenced, of course, in this kind of council culture that we now live in, fear of being ostracised. Even in some cases, someone in my group said that if she spoke out in her job, she would fear that she might lose her job. We, we fear, don't we? We fear the consequences of us speaking out about our faith. And that is the kind of form of persecution that we experience. But the challenge for us today in the UK 
is to have the bravery of Paul, to be bold, to speak out, to stand firm in our convictions, to stand firm on what the Bible teaches, but also to do it with wisdom, to be wise about when to speak up and when to hold back, to be wise about the context that we speak up in, to be wise about you know, the friendship circle that we create and who we speak to. We have to be brave and speak up, but we also have to be wise and all the time showing love and kindness and compassion to the people that we're speaking to. You see, later on in our passage, we see in verse 22 that Paul says to all disciples that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is normative for all Christians. Paul clearly has experienced lots of suffering and persecution, but now he says this is the same for all of us. Every single one of us who wants to follow Jesus will face some kind of hardship to enter the kingdom of God. And when we do that, it's vital, it's critical that we have people around us who will gather around us, who will walk alongside us, who will encourage us, pray for us, support us. I wonder who that is in your life. And you might be someone who feels like, I haven't got anyone like that. I can't find anyone like that. Can I encourage you to, to try and identify some people who you can pursue to have friendships with, to run alongside with and support one another? Of course, in a church context, this can happen through groups. As I just mentioned, I was part of a group that did this just this last week. It can also happen through serving teams. But can I encourage you to get in and find people who can encourage you? You know, this isn't easy. It definitely involves not just attending a group or a serving team, but it also involves just being open. It involves a time commitment, taking the time to invest in people. But it also means not thinking that you can do the Christian life by yourself. Don't be foolish like me in the marathon. I thought, wow, you know what, I can do it myself. I'll just run ahead. I'll run away from my friend. I'll run away from all that. I can do it myself. Don't make the same mistake. Realise that you can't do it by yourself and find a friendship circle that will support you. After going back into the city, the next day, Paul and Barnabas revisit the places they've previously been. They literally retrace their steps. Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. As they go, they strengthen the disciples and they appoint elders in each of the churches as a way of providing a structure of support and care for the people that they've just reached. They keep going and they finally get back to Antioch, the church that we've been looking at, the church that sent them out initially. And this leads them to, to the second thing that I think we can learn from Paul about how to persevere. The first was friendship. The second is to remember the, gro the grace of God. Remember God's grace. Let's read verses 26 to 28. From Antalya, they sailed back to Antioch where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is where their hardship and their struggle comes into perspective. Why did they bother doing all this? Why? Why did they bother getting stoned and getting beaten and abused? Why? Because of God's grace. That's what motivated them. They'd experienced God's grace in their own lives and now they were seeing God's grace at work in other people's lives. You see, on arriving back at Antioch, they gathered the church and they reported all that had happened and how God had opened up a door of faith. I love the image of the open door. Paul uses it a lot in his letters. It's because of God's grace and mercy that he's opened up a door to anyone who would enter by faith, regardless of race, of background, of economic status, of age, of gender, whoever you are, regardless of what you've done, you can enter the open door just by faith, just by faith. 
nothing to do with your performance, just to do with Jesus' performance on our behalf. You see, Paul and Barnabas were able to gather the church and share testimony after testimony after testimony of what God had done and how many people would put their faith in Jesus. You know, depending on who you are, you're likely to see the gospel as either a relief or a scandal. A relief or a scandal. If you're someone who has a deep sense of shame and guilt, if you're someone who you know, just feels bad about the things that you have done in life, the mistakes you've made, or the things that you haven't done that you wish you had done, you will see the gospel as a huge relief. When you hear the words, you cannot earn it, it's a free gift of grace, you're going, wow, what a relief, I couldn't earn it anyway. I was gone, I was a mess, I couldn't, I couldn't do this, I couldn't be accepted by God unless it was on behalf of someone else. And so you'll see it as a huge relief. You'll be a bit like the prodigal son in the famous story who leaves home, squanders the wealth on wild living, and then comes back to his father's embrace. You'll see it as a relief. Or you may see grace as a huge scandal. You may feel like you've actually lived up to a high moral standard, that you feel like you've earned a good standing with God, that maybe you're a bit like the Jewish Pharisees that we read about in the New Testament. Maybe when you hear that salvation is by grace, that it's by faith alone, by grace alone, you think, wow, what a scandal. How do all these other wretched sinners get in when they haven't done anything? They've, they've wasted their lives. They've made a mess of it. How do they get in just based on faith and grace alone? Maybe you're a bit like the older brother in the prodigal son story who resents the fact that a party's being thrown for his brother who's literally squandered his life and then come back literally in a mess. You resent that because grace is a scandal. But the reality is the key is that it's all by grace. Grace has saved us. Grace will sustain us. And grace ultimately will lead every single one of us home. We didn't open the door of faith for ourselves. God has taken the initiative towards us. He's opened the door. Everyone is welcome. And it's just for us to take a step through that door that's been opened wide for us. Let's all see the amazing grace that God has given us in Christ and walk through that door of faith. As I close, I want to leave you with two challenges. Firstly, to pursue friendships with all different types of people. People who are like you, people who are not like you, people who are Christians, people who are not Christians. We've seen the importance already of having Christians who run alongside you and encourage you. But also I want to encourage you and challenge you actually to intentionally make friends with non-Christians. A recent report came out from the Evangelical Alliance called Talking Jesus, where they surveyed 4,000 people across the whole of the UK. And from their research, they found that one in three non-Christians are not only open to talking about Jesus, but open to having a personal encounter with Jesus. That's massive. That's one in three people. That means that if you've got three non-Christian friends, one of them, statistically speaking, is open to talking about Jesus and encountering him through it themselves. That's a game changer. And often as Christians, we think, oh, our friends aren't interested. Our friends don't wanna hear me go on about my faith. But actually, maybe the opposite is true. Maybe because of the pandemic, maybe because all the things that we've all lived through, maybe our friends now are asking some huge questions. Maybe they're ready to receive the gospel. We just haven't been courageous enough to share it with them. And so can I encourage you to use this moment to engage with them, to pray for them, to talk to them about our faith? Boldly, speaking the truth in love, being gracious and compassionate, of course, but taking the opportunity that presents us to share the gospel with others. 
And if you're, if some, if you're someone who maybe hasn't got any non-Christian friends, can I encourage you to intentionally think about places that you can put yourself, where that might be a possibility. Maybe it's clubs, maybe it's hobbies, but try and find ways in which you can build relationally with those who don't yet know Jesus. And let's cheer one another on as we go and try and do the great commission that God has called us to. My second challenge is this, remember God's grace. I wonder, are you delighted? Are you thrilled with the gospel? Or have you somewhat become bored by it? It's so easily, isn't it? So easily done as Christians to just hear the gospel so often that we just become a bit numb to it, a bit bored by it, a bit like, huh? But actually, can I encourage us to delight in the gospel, to love the gospel, to continually preach the gospel to ourselves? Because that's good for our own souls, but it also provides the motivation to go and to share the gospel with others. You know, Paul was a person who loved the gospel, who delighted in the gospel, who found God's grace so amazing that it compelled him to go and share the gospel with others, despite huge suffering. Just back to my marathon story. You know that after 18 miles, I stopped. I literally hit the wall. I had to walk. I felt like I couldn't carry on. To rub salt in the wound, my friend runs past me and is kind of laughing at my predicament. Walking, sad, upset, not sure whether I could finish the race. I was down and out. You may be wondering, what helped me to persevere? What helped me to carry on and finish the race in three hours and 24 minutes? What happened? Well, to be honest, what happened in that moment was I remembered my father, my dad, who who passed away. My reason for running the race. In that moment where I was down and out, all I could do was just remember great memories of my dad, remembering the sacrifices he had made for me. And that in the end was the motivation that enabled me to pick myself up and go again and run the race and finish. And you know what, in the same way, if you're going through a hard time, if you're needing a sense of like, oh man, I need to persevere, I need to keep going, I need to keep putting one foot in front of the other, because you've got nothing else. Can I encourage you to remember your heavenly father, your heavenly father who has sacrificed so much, who sent his son into this world to live and die and rise again for you. And remember his grace. And as you remember his grace, that will help you to carry on. As you remember his grace, you'll remember that he is with you, he is for you, and ultimately he will carry you over the finish line. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that it speaks to us every time. And I just pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon all of us listening to your word being preached today. And I pray for your spirit to help us to persevere. I pray that you'd help us to pursue friendships, to have people that would gather around us in times of need and people that we can also support and encourage. And I also pray that we continue to remember God's grace and that that would be the motivation that helps us to carry on each and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.